Hello, industrial marketing friends. From Gorilla76, the industrial marketing agency, this is the Manufacturing Marketer Podcast, a show dedicated to all the small marketing teams working at companies that make stuff. We're your hosts, Brendan and Aaron. And today we're talking about lead management. As marketers, our job is to generate high quality leads for sales to turn into customers. How that lead is handed off and tracked throughout the deal though is extremely important and sometimes that involves a lot of tech and integration. Luckily, we've got an expert joining us to talk more about this lead flow, John Joyce of Bridger.io. Hi, John. Uh, would hey you guys. like to introduce yourself to uh, the TMM crowd here? Sure. Uh, so my name is John Joyce. I'm an industrial marketer. I've been in industrial marketing for over 20 years. And due to some of the technical challenges that I've seen and encountered firsthand uh, in industrial marketing on the tech side of things, I founded a company called Bridger.io, which is to kind of make connections and help information flow between all the different uh, various parts of our tech stacks in, in marketing and in manufacturing. Cool. And one of the reasons I want to have you on too, John, was you are going to be um, a speaker at the Industrial Marketing Summit happening in January. Uh, so we're all looking forward to hearing you talk. I think your session's on AI, correct? Was that right? Uh, no, exactly. My session is on uh, using humanity and automation together. Uh, so it's kind of like, don't just lean on AI. Don't just lean on automated systems because you're just another spam bot basically, mm. and the world doesn't need more spam bots. So how can we use these tools, but be human and actually make connections with other human beings and make sure we don't lose sight of that and just like workflow and automate ourselves into like a spam yeah. overflow, which is where I feel like a lot of the stuff is going to happen. We're not careful. For sure. And it feels like even the human people out there sound like robots anyways. So yeah, some humanity would be nice in the in this uh, journey here. Uh, and speaking of that, uh, you know, talking to sales and lead handoff. Let's just talk about like, from your experience, what have you seen to be a typical lead flow? You know, starting from when somebody fills out the form on the website to when that deal is closed. Like, what does that ideal path look like for you uh, in your experience? Yeah, so I don't think there is an ideal path. I'm going to throw a curveball, right? Oh, no, that right? So every, every company is different and yeah. there isn't an ideal path. And in in industrial, um, in industrial marketing, you have complicated sales uh, with complicated products to complicated organizations or between complicated organizations. So there isn't like a one size fits all answer. And the problem, I think the biggest problem that's out there is that the solutions are oversimplified one side fits all solutions. Like mm -hmm. there's, they almost take from this B2C model and just try to directly apply those same kind of things in the industrial model. So you have like a lead journey of like, okay, this is a guy and he comes and downloads our white paper and yada, yada, yada. And then boom, that turns into a sale. Unfortunately, like with industrial marketing, the process is you've got to get the new product development team engineering on board. And then maybe they have a procurement subsample of a procurement team on their team and you have to get them on board. And then you have to sell it to the larger procurement department of the actual company. And then there might be executives um, involved who, you know, take into account political almost things. And there might be certification um, type requirements and all these hoops that you have to jump through. So it's not just like, oh, here's the customer journey. It's like so easy to track the lead flow. It's not like that because you're reaching out to like five or six different, you have to influence like five or six different yeah. people 
in different apartments doing completely different jobs with completely different like needs right in order to make uh like a real industrial not just b2b but like a real industrial partnership happen you know it's one thing to sell software to a b2b company but it's another thing to sell components that they're going to put in their things and then turn around and try to sell that to somebody else you know so because of all that complexity there isn't like one super simple solution and then you throw in different go-to-market strategies and it just gets like even more completely difficult you know are these rep-based businesses do they have field sales people inside sales people do they have a distribution network yeah do they have their own distributors to you know like so that's where all this software i think just totally falls flat and you end up finding like everything is oversimplified like it's just a four-step process but in reality it's like a 40 times four step process because of all these little different moving pieces. So HubSpot's nice. You get leads coming in, you know, but how does that lead get to, how do you identify that that lead is a customer of a distributor who you already have a a relationship with and then send that lead to that distributor and not to this other guy or service it yourself. And now you're competing with your customers, which they really love, you know? So, you know, you're usually, you're trying not to do that, not to give leads for this company to another competing customer that ticks them off really bad and not to sell them yourself. So yeah, that's a serious problem. So normally just to get roundabout way, get back to your question is, yeah, there's usually a lot of pieces in there. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's a marketing automation piece like HubSpot. Sometimes there's a sales piece like Salesforce um, or other CRM in there. And obviously the ERP, the estimating software, um, and just knowing the whole customer relationship in there. And then I think the weakest link is how to get that lead out of the organization if it's a not if it's a lead that's not for the organization, which uh in a lot of people you work with in, in industrial space they're not necessarily selling to every single lead that comes in the door. A lot of times they may have distribution and they sell exclusively through that. And then it gets almost impossible. Frankly, there's very little people helping in that area. So So I'll answer your question. Yeah. No, I was going to ask, we obviously know there's like a lot of the different parts and sometimes that spans like different pieces of the software like the crm the erp the estimating software how do you see manufacturers typically managing this now with things like moving between a tech stack yeah i see it data leaking all over the place for the most part now or bad handoffs uh, or attempted handoffs, but things really just don't like click is the majority of what I see. You know, you have some smaller manufacturers who might do more direct sales and they're doing like a HubSpot Salesforce type uh, lead flow. And if you can manage to keep everything in simple, uh, if you're a smaller manufacturer and you're really not dealing with a lot of external people, but you have just your own sales team, keeping it simple and keeping it on one platform or maybe two, you know, HubSpot and Salesforce or just HubSpot or just Salesforce is ideal. And I think that works pretty well and people can manage that kind of workflow. Um, But as soon as it gets more complicated, even just multi-geography, 
um, all the different rules about what data you can keep in what places in different countries and things like that, it starts getting complicated fast and you can't just keep a simple software solution. So sharing the data back and forth between the different pieces then becomes more and more important because you want to tie things together and make them cohesive, even though you've got these separate systems that are trying to do different things in different places. So you talk about keeping it simple. Which tools do you think are the most essential? Like if you were trying to pare back your tech stack and you were able to have that simplicity? Uh, well, things that are absolutely required. Obviously, you have to have an ERP. Um, you have to have a CRM. Uh, and in my personal opinion, you need some sort of marketing platform that's that could also be your CRM, but it could be separate from your CRM. Uh, so I'm a, I'm actually a big HubSpot fan. I know it doesn't work for everybody, um, but I feel like it, it does do a lot of things in one single piece of software and does what it does uh, pretty well. Uh, I'm not like a reseller or anything like that. This is just my unbiased opinion of touching different softwares and seeing what they work like. Um, so I, I, will, I would say to jump on that, John, I think, you know, the, on the HubSpot conversation, it does a really good job of doing that marketing to sales handoff internally, at least, right? Like it, it moves people from the marketing platform into the sales platform really nicely. Uh, whereas, you know, using like part out to Salesforce is difficult. Like pipe drive doesn't have any like marketing platform that's native into it. So um, yeah, HubSpot is a nice little package to do that internal handoff, at least, you know, without bringing in the manufacturing side or, you know, distributor partners. Um, but it helps to solve that one little piece of this puzzle. It does. And I think that that's a great solution if it meets your needs. But a lot of people for varying reasons just don't want to do that. And then they, you know, then you're left to just integrating some CRM to HubSpot, basically. Mm -hmm. I think most marketers out there want to use something like HubSpot in this day and age. There's very few people out there marketing, I don't think, that aren't using some sort of platform like HubSpot or, or Pardot or yeah. Driver, whatever it is, you know. But but it's like, <clears throat> after that, I guess, yeah, unifying the sales and marketing tech stack is probably like one of your biggest bangs for the buck. And that's where... Um, something like HubSpot shines or the HubSpot and Salesforce because they integrate well. Although even there, it's not perfect. There's a lot of the way they handle their data is different. So sometimes that creates problems. But um, yeah, that tight integration it helps a lot with that whole, with the whole sales marketing uh, synergy, you know, type thing. So, but again, that's just like the, usually the beginning part of the sales process um, when you get further down, like what are we doing with these leads or mm -hmm. who's really the customer, who's really handling these leads? Sometimes it just falls apart immediately after that. And you're back down to manual processes like emailing people or looking up who, you know, who's who in the ERP, what customer is handling this, this person's account, you know, that most of the, that kind of integration is more sketchy, I think yeah. on that side of the equation, a kind of ERP to HubSpot. Yeah, and the ERP, like that starts to get more difficult, right? Because I feel like as a marketer, it's easy for you to either do this by yourself or partner in with a salesperson and decide on what 
CRM, MAP solution you're going to go with. But when you start bringing in ERP, then you're bringing in a lot of other different departments within the company that have a lot more, you know, and a lot of other stakeholders. And that it can get messy, right? And we start adding in all these other systems that are really like the proponents of, you know, manufacturing or operations or customer service. And yeah, it makes things uh, makes things a lot more complicated. Then you're like, yeah, well, sales market decided we're doing HubSpot. Well, then, you know, the manufacturing decided that we're going to use this ERP. Oh, crap. These actually don't integrate together. And now uh, we need to figure out how we actually have to do this. Yeah, for sure. It's super common. And uh, besides even just like the technical aspects of trying to make the the data move from one box to another box, from one piece of cloud to another piece of cloud, like along the way, the thing that really gets lost is the customer experience or the prospect experience, you know, whatever you're going to say, whatever stage these people are. um, These are people (laughs) and you're, you're creating all these tech uh, processes, platforms, integrations, whatever, just to try to maintain a decent relationship with people and i think that's one of the things that gets lost through this whole thing people get so focused on the tech yeah um, that they're they're not thinking about the the human experience or what these people how these people what their customer experience is with you as a company you know through the through the sales cycle or pipeline or customer journey or whatever you want to call it that they're that they feel like you know they get a bad experience and mm-hmm. and that's really like the problem we're trying to solve uh but we focus so much on the tech which because it's the tool you know but sometimes you just lose focus on that that human being like hey this is just a dude who just wants to buy stuff and he you know just needs to really be connected to the right person to sell yeah. this without taking off these other distributors it sounds so easy but it, you know it's at scale, as a company gets bigger and you have to have technology because you can't manage like all the mental, like when you're small, you you know, oh, this guy is a customer of this guy and he's a distributor of this guy. And some people can hold all that in their head. But obviously, as your company gets big enough, you're trying to duplicate that human knowledge in a machine. And, you know, the people kind of get lost in my in my personal experience along the way. And you get a crap customer experience, which is what nobody wants. Right. That kind of answered the next question that we had was why is that integrated tech stack so crucial? Um, but so maybe the next one is, you know, what are some of the integration problems that you see with manufacturers that they're trying to solve for right now? Like, like, you know, with Bridger, like what are like, what are the most common things that come up that you are able to come in and help with? Um, so tying systems together that don't natively talk to each other. Uh, so that could be like, I'll give you a couple examples. So one of the, one of my partners is Cadenas, who is a CAD software platform, and they didn't have a native way of getting their data into people's CRMs through integration. So I helped them create an integration to get their data from their platform into customer CRMs. And there's a variety of kind of like, uh, you know, interpolating on that data that has to happen that's different for each CRM to make it kind of like fit into the CRM. And then every customer has their own specific way of doing things. And so that has to be taken into account. So it's things like that, helping people connect systems, even systems that are already connectable. Okay. Like Salesforce and HubSpot 
for instance, I said as an example, are connectable, but the but there's always little could be yeah. just the littlest dumb thing. Like for instance, and this is like sub quintessential with this integration is the state field. So in in Salesforce, a lot of times that state field's a drop down, and in mm -hmm. HubSpot, that Salesforce is a text field. And so reconciling that data or the fact that somebody typed AL instead of fully spelling out Alabama in the state field breaks the integration for that contact record and and then oh, nobody man. notices it and it never gets fixed. And actually going through all your HubSpot data and standardizing it to the way Salesforce wants it, that's a challenge. So if you add on top of that, little idiosyncrasies of the way people do their Salesforce, that's not just how it is out of the box because people customize all this. All of a sudden, even the existing integrations are all broken because you know, we do it a little differently. Oh, we put this data in this format in this field, not over here. And now you can't use any off-the-shelf type integrations. So that's another example of kind of fixing those kind of problems. Um, and then another, uh, something else that's a problem is if you have, if you work with the government, you might not be allowed to have your ERP um, accessible over the internet. Um, so there are certain rules like uh, cyber maturity model certification that uh, depending on your level of government secrecy requirements, like you can't just hook your ERP and other systems up to each other. And then mm. solving that problem of how we do an integration or can we even do an integration gets complicated. Yeah. And so what we do in those circumstances is build on-premise integration platforms. So I can come into a business like that built and put in integration, a small version of my integration platform in their on-premise that can touch their ERP legally. And then you can use that to integrate to the website or to HubSpot or to whatever it is. Uh, without kind of exposing your ERP directly um, to the internet, you know, so there's, everybody has so many different situations. There's lots of opportunities for making systems talk and there's such a big benefit of it. Yeah. You know, if you don't, if your systems don't talk, I mean, it's just a breakdown organizationally, bad customer experience. The people in the organization don't know what other people in the organization are doing. Um, there's lots of inefficiencies. So yeah, a lot of costs yeah. come out of those systems not being able to talk. What are some of the common mistakes or pitfalls that you see that could be avoided without bringing in a you know a third party like Bridger? If somebody was just gonna try to work on some of this in-house? Um, so how do you avoid it is keeping it simple um and probably reducing your needs or reducing your processes to match the software that's already out there um, and using it the way it works instead of trying to get it the way you work. Um, that enables you to use more effectively like all the out-of-box solutions. Hmm. Um, so that would, that would create less of the need for something custom to be done because you do things your way. But the problem is nobody wants to do that. So everybody, you know, nobody wants to buy a software and say, well, we just spent, you know, hundred grand on this software. Now we're going to redo the way we do all our processes internally to match the software. Um, so it's like on top of spending a hundred grand, now we have to change everything we're doing. Um, 
But the more you can work the way the software is intended to work, and the less you can customize it, the more likely things that were already pre-built into it are going to work right and not need to be customized because it's like a domino effect when you customize, when you change one thing here, then everything that's connected off of that thing is affected by that change. So that would be my advice. Keep it simple. Like stick, like for instance, we were just talking about sales and marketing, sticking to one stack, just having HubSpot that covers a lot of things and maybe an ERP that integrates tightly with it and keeping working in the way that it's designed to work so that you're not jacking up things for the future when you try to, you know, integrate something or add something, you haven't completely, you know, created a system that then has to be, you know, somehow reduplicated all the way down the line. Yeah. Or hire Bridger to help you is what it kind of sounds like. Um, well, yeah, yeah and it's, it's, it's crazy. How, like, yeah, like you said, like one silly thing, like having the state fields be different and it completely breaks everything. And I could just imagine the, 40 hours it's going to take somebody to figure out oh my god it's a state field that's causing all this to break <laughs> so dumb <laughs> it's super common though that one is like the most common honestly yeah. be, you know because like for instance and i was just talking about cadenas their their field for capturing lead data is a text field which is fine and they get data from all over the world because they're international so mm -hmm. they okay so if, say you're in the u.s and say you were like hey for the sake of cleaning the reports up, we're going to make the state field a pull down so that, you know, we don't have data that says AL and data that says Alabama and data that says mm -hmm. Bama or whatever in there. All the things that people might type in the field, right. you know, we're going to make it a pull down and that makes it all nice and easy for us to, to keep the data segmented. But then all of a sudden data from other countries doesn't fit in there, you know, yeah. and when you, as soon as you start to try plugging things into that system, things don't plug in anymore. So then it's like, well, how do you solve that problem? You know, do you change the system back? I've had some customers who do that. I just had one this week, you know, okay, we'll, we'll change HubSpot back to the way it works and ditch this field. And okay, that's all the problem. Now all of a sudden that data can go in there, but mm -hmm. there's very few that will do that. Normally they did it for a reason and they don't want to undo it, you know? Yeah. So. You know, that kind of thing is small, but there's millions of things like that. Yeah. You know, in, in everybody's system, that's like, okay, it just doesn't fit in here. So we have to figure a way to fit it in. Yeah. Man, just so many small things that yeah. can make such a huge impact. And something that adds an extra layer of complexity to all this is we touched on it a little bit earlier, but those rep networks or distributor networks that a lot of manufacturers are selling through. Um, have you found any good integrations to kind of increase the visibility between the manufacturer and the distributor? Uh, and also like for my background at Graco, right? Like we were on Salesforce. Um, we'd get a lead that come in and fill out the form or whatever. And we have it, we'd, we'd work it. But then we didn't sell it, right? So like we had to give it to a distributor. We'd give that lead to a distributor and then nothing. Like it would be just going into an old dark well. Oh. Like we had, yeah, we can't see anything. And then the distributor doesn't want to connect into us and like 
they did we probably could have done a better job of this but like it just poor like follow through like hey we sold this much to this person so that you know we can kind of complete that on the marketing side like yeah that was that campaign worked because it brought this in um we didn't have any of that revenue data it all came back in through the erp but it was impossible to then track it back into a lead so how do you fix that yeah that's can you fix that (laughs) yeah it's not easy to fix it and um, it is a serious problem because you, you lose all your attribution yeah. Um, because you're not actually selling those customers. But as a manufacturer, a lot of times you're getting a lot of leads because mm-hmm. your product is, you know, what they're, they're looking for right. your product, you know, right. and then they come to you and you end up buying it from even just like on a consumer basis, you know, you're like, oh, I want a tool to to do something in the yard and I go and buy it from Home Depot or Lowe's or something right. like that. Well, how does, if I looked at it online and then bought it from Lowe's, like, is there a way to, for them to know, like that touch on their website triggered me to buy it from Lowe's. Yeah. It's, it's extremely hard to do that. Um, and like you said, this whole lead black hole, which is like, as a marketer, like lead, the lead black hole is your worst hated enemy. It likes in my personal opinion, like what I hate is generating tons and tons of leads and then pouring them down a drain and not knowing, you know, and maybe someone will pick them up and do something with them and, but they right. might not. It feels like such a waste, right? You're like, yeah. oh, we went through all this effort building lead magnets and, a, and lead gen system is, is a ton of work, right? And you, and you're like, yeah, leads and we're getting leads, you know, or 800 leads a month. That's amazing. Uh, what's happening to them you know like uh are, is are, is this business closing i mean sales are going up that's great that's basically kind of like what you end up with is like yeah we have leads pouring in yep. we're sending them to distributors they're saying thanks for the leads and sales are going up but you don't know how to connect those dots so the, there's only one software that i know of and this isn't an ad for them uh, but it's the only software that i know of um, that actually is attempting to go specifically after this problem, which is called interlinks. It's a, it's specifically designed to integrate to CRMs and allow you to send your leads to distribution and to track their activity. So it makes it easy for them to respond on their phone. They get a lead via text and they respond on their phone to whether they handled it or what stage it's in, or if they handed it off to somebody. But I think this is a, an area where there's a hole in the market, there's a need and there's not very many people trying to fix it. But I can tell you firsthand, if you sell through distribution, you would, you would want a solution to this problem of like, how do, how do I know what my distributors are doing with the leads I give them? Is it safe to give it to another distributor? Cause they didn't sell that lead. You know, yeah. uh, do I know like this guy, I give him 10 leads and he closes them all and they all become business. And this guy, I give him 10 leads and he does nothing with them. I'm going to stop giving this guy leads and yeah. give 20 leads to this guy. Right. But it's so hard to know what they do with those leads because they don't really, there's just not enough transparency, mm-hmm. you know, between the organizations and no systems facilitate right. it. Yeah. So yeah. like we, we would end up just relying on the qualitative feedback from our BDMs who, you know, worked with the distribution partners. Um, but that's also, uh, you know, when salespeople don't want to be in the CRM very much either, and they're trying to get information for the distributors, they're like, they don't want to put that in. Like, so it just like turns into a lot of qualitative stuff on, you know, sales calls uh, or sales update meetings. Yeah. This one did pretty good. And so then you're like, that's put that in the CRM guy. Like, 
come on, let's go yeah. to Lou. Yeah, for sure. And one of the only other things I think you could do is just organizationally doing joint sales. So it's like if you just make a commitment that we're going to handhold this lead through the process, but yeah. that, and usually that does happen um, for certain leads, right? Like, so, yeah. you know, on some level, it might be like, okay, this is, this is a, a special lead. We are not just like walking away from it, like throwing it at a distributor and saying, go, go for it. We're going to walk through the whole process with yep. the distributor to make sure that the sale actually happens or even do the sales process and then just hand them over to the distributor that they want to work with afterwards. Then that's another way of working around it. And that happens a lot. Uh, like I said, especially with like high value or high perceived value yep. um, leads and, and relationships. But that's like the 20% or less then you have the entire other 80% of all leads in your 80-20 principle, and those create a ton of revenue, and you have no way to track it automated or anything. And so you're really 80% line, and that's not helping anybody. Is there yeah. anything that like manufacturers can do in that lead handoff to distributors to um avoid like i guess are there common mistakes just in the lead handoff itself because obviously you don't want to hand something off to a distributor they take 10 days to follow up meanwhile that lead has like gone to somewhere else to solve their problem yeah so the mistake would just be trust <laughs> uh you know blind trust like hey i'm gonna give you this lead and that's the end of my job but I mean, if you've ever been in a manufacturer um, who has big distributors or, or even just big partners, um, you may have seen like supplier scorecard systems where, uh, you know, a big OEM who makes like SpaceX is, you know, making rockets or Toyota is making like literally everything. And they're, they'll rank their suppliers with a scorecard. Like they'll say, this is what we expect of you. And we're going to grade you on your performance on this and you know your whether you'll continue to be a supplier or whether you'll be like a platinum supplier will be judged on how well you do on this yeah. scorecard okay and they're constantly evaluating and it has all kinds of criteria so if you took that concept and applied it to your distribution channel and said okay to be a premier distributor you're going to get if you're a premier distributor you're going to get these benefits and this benefit might be better service, uh, you know, faster service, uh, more, we keep more stock or inventory on hand for you. Um, we prioritize you in inventory, um, even better pricing, but we're going to score you on these criteria. And then you have to create scoring based on their performance with your leads. Um, or, and this works with marketing too. And whenever you're selling through distribution, this works not just on the sales side, but it works on the marketing side. So you can create these partner scorecards and you can say this is what we expect you to do with the marketing stuff we're generating this is the minimum we expect you to do on your website the minimum we expect you to do on your socials and your emails about our brand you know and this is the minimum way we expect you to uh handle leads you know and you could even have reporting requirements you can do whatever you want at that point in time you know it's part of the relationship and you're saying yep. okay we're, we'll be a supplier will give you preferred 
customer benefits, but we want you to do these things. And, you know, I don't know, a lot of companies aren't, aren't talking about those, those kind of things, even though I think most manufacturers in dealing with distribution get the reverse, they get the reverse of the distributor saying like, Oh, to be a good supplier, you got to meet these goals yeah. or OEMs do it for sure. Like to be, you know, you want to be a, our go-to guy for this product, then, you know, you can't ever be late. You can't make more than this many mistakes in a year. Like there's all kinds of rules and they just lay them out and score you on them. So that would be another way. Yeah. But, you know, where you're using process instead of technology to solve the same problem. Interesting. Have you guys seen anything out like that, like that out in the field? Yeah, we, uh, our scorecards as a, as I was leaving Graco, we were starting to work on on something like that with this new product launch. That we actually talked about a couple months ago here on IML. Um, yeah, because we're like we had a really differentiated product and we wanted uh, our distribution to treat it like that. And so we were working on creating, yeah, creating rules. And it was tied to points, uh, you know, uh, of discount for them, right? So they would get the product mm -hmm. cheaper um, if they were a higher level, or they'd get like more of the more of the leads, right? So like our top tier would get you know, X percentage of leads, the bottom tier would get the lower percentage. Um, so yeah, it, like it was just like trying to find ways to put financial incentives in front of them uh, for them to want to be a preferred partner. Um, yeah. And then that came with, you know, working the leads, talking about the product X amount of times, um, leading with our product, and then, you know, reporting back to us was a piece of that. Um, I don't know how that thing ended up, but yeah, we were definitely in the conversation of that like two years ago. Um, Cause like you need, like you, there needs to be something there for you to get some feedback on are my campaigns and the messaging that I'm doing working. Yeah, absolutely. And you're just helping each other to do what you do better. Um, and that's really benefits everybody in the end, you know? So the only way something improves is if you put measurements on it, unfortunately, that's just human, human nature and, you know, accountability systems, whether they're technical, whether they're digital, like tech, like a, an app on your phone or whether they're old fashioned, like you need to write a report <laughs> and, and report every quarter, what you're doing with these hundred leads that we're sending you and what percentage are closing. And if you can't answer that question, we're going to stop sending you leads. Um, you know, that, that's, that's kind of like the only two ways, you know, every yeah. problem doesn't have a tech solution. You know, some problems just have human, human problems have human solutions a lot, you know? So that's one of, this is one of those, you know, controlling or modifying or influencing people's behavior, which is mm -hmm. well, uh, what we do in marketing, isn't it? Yeah. That's exactly what we do. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of marketers, we've been talking a lot about like tech solutions and process solutions, but from the marketing perspective, like, in an ideal world where you have all these right integrations in place and the lead handoff and the tracking is seamless, like what is the major benefit um, as a marketer? Like why should you push so hard for a system that's well integrated? So attribution, uh, knowing what's working. Um, I just had this conversation with somebody the other day. We were just talking about like the scientific nature of marketing where it, it's scientific makes it sound fancy, but in reality, it's a lot of trial and error, right? And the si trial and error is like as unscientific as you can get. It's just, you do something, did it work? You did something, did it work? 
Um, but that's the scientific method we use in marketing more or less to measure uh, what's working and what's not. You just have to try things. And if you can't measure it, then you're blind. So then you just don't know what's working or what's working better. You know, this, we did this and it created 20% more leads, but did 20% more sales come out of that is actually the more important question. Like you could produce a ton of leads all day, as I'm sure you guys know, and in marketing, like, okay, producing leads, I can produce you jillions of, yeah, you know, zero quality leads very yeah. easily. You know, it's knowing whether they're quality leads and, and getting leads. quality leads. Yeah. Yes. Right. So yeah. in the end, it, it all matters is that attribution piece, right? So if you don't know if that person even bought anything, which you often don't when it crosses not just intercompany silos like marketing sales, but between company silos right. like me to distribution, you know, it becomes super difficult to have attribution on any, even on the most basic level. And then your, then your whole trial and error process is screwed up. And so you're blind and you're guessing and who wants to do that, right? No, none of, none of us want to build marketing systems that we guess work pretty well. Like we want to build systems that actually work, uh, produce revenue. And at the end of the day, when the CEO says, I'm spending all this money on marketing and I'm not sure if it's working, yeah. you want to be able to say, dang, right. It's working. I can show you exactly how well it's working, you know? And if you don't have that info, if you don't have that visibility all the way through the chain, then you can't answer that question, even just to your CEO, let alone know that you're doing any good in the world, yeah. you know, in your marketing efforts. You're just flying blind. Yeah, I, to me, it just comes down to, can I trust the data that's in my system? And as like all these like little things pop up, right? And the data gets slightly degraded over time. It's like, man, like, can I trust that that was the actual revenue number? Can I trust that was the actual pipeline or number of deals? Are those actually really leads? It like, then you start like, oh man, I don't trust any of the numbers in the system. And I'm kind of just pulling all my hair out, trying to figure out like what the heck is going on. Um, I, I think that's like where a lot of market frustration comes from. Is like, I just, like, can I trust this data? And if I can't trust the data, I can't make good decisions. And then you kind of just feel like you're stuck and can't do anything. Yeah. It's handicapping, right? Because you're flying by. So yeah, it's very hard to get around that. One, one of the only ways, if you don't have real attribution, you can do research. And that's kind of like one of the only other ways yeah. to solve this problem is you have to go back out and talk to these people and find out if you can, um, what the process was or what they touched or if they even remember. And that's all also mm -hmm. somewhat crappy information, but you can use research to try to drill backwards, even if it's just surveys or yeah. things like that, um, to find out what's working and what isn't working. Um, but yeah, connecting the dots, having a system where you can connect the dots is just the best, the best way to do it. Um, trusting the data is a whole other issue and trusting your own analytics on the data is like a yes. whole other issue. Yeah. You know, you can make, you can make statistics say anything you want to say, yeah. you know, like, oh, wow, look at, look at this last 30 days graph. We our our sales went up, you know, yeah, a thousand percent. But if we <laughs> extend that out to like a year, oh, wow, we're actually down like 2000% yeah. from, 
Okay, so it's like you you got to yeah. trust. Yeah, you got to be watching and be careful about being honest about all those things, you know, your data integrity, whether you even have the data, and then what you're reading into the data. So. All right, John. Yeah, it was tricky. We appreciate having a, our, we pre, we appreciate you coming on and hanging out with us this morning. Um, yeah, kidding me. Yeah. Guys. So, and we're excited to have you come on uh, Industrial Marketing Summit with us in Austin. Um, you kind of talked about what you're talking about already, so maybe we don't have to hit that again. But um, yeah, what are you most looking forward to with IMS? Uh, same thing I would always look forward to, which is just meeting other industrial marketers and talking about their challenges and learning um because because everybody does do it so different and you know just learning what their challenges are what they're doing that's working what isn't working there's really like no other place uh no other event that you can go to and really have such concentrated um quality of people who are focused on this one thing how to do industrial marketing really well and that's what gets me excited and just meeting just meeting the people, but, you know, meeting and learning. Um, so that's it. How about you guys? What are you excited about? Yeah, I think it's, I well, think it's that, really excited. I'll go ahead, Aaron. Oh, I was going to say, now I'm really excited for, for uh, John's session. Like after talking to you, oh, I mean, it sounded interesting before, but I feel like this just opened up so many more questions that I'll have for you uh, uh, in January next year. Yeah, I yeah, think it's yeah. beers and connecting with people. Yeah, and getting go. out of the Minnesota winter and going to Austin. I've never been there. I'm actually looking forward to checking yeah. it out. Curtis cool. I've never been there either. Um, yeah. John, what's the best way for folks to connect with you? Uh, LinkedIn. I'm pretty exclusive to LinkedIn. So that would be the best way. Okay. You can search for, just search for me by name, John Joyce. I'll probably pop up. Awesome. Yeah. You're welcome to connect. So. Uh, cool. Definitely appreciate that. Um, yeah, excited for IMS. You know, another thing that is out there, uh, if you you know, IMS is gonna be great. It's a one, it's a, an event though, right? So it's three days long, and it's nice to have those connections year round. And we can do that together on the Industrial Marketing Live Slack channel that we have. Um, John, I don't know if you're in there yet, but I saw you on the Industrial Marketing Live event. Um, so yeah, the Slack channel is great. I think there's like 250 marketers in there right now. And people are just talking about uh, a lot of conversations about tech stacks recently, uh, but other people, you know, talking about campaigns they're running, content they're creating, questions that they have. Uh, it's just a really great place for all of us to commiserate together and, you know, talk about industrial marketing when a lot of us are working on teams of one or two. Uh, so if you want to get connected into that, just uh, reach out to me or Aaron on LinkedIn um, or our gorilla emails and we'll we'll get you in there. Uh, we'll send you an invite. So yeah, IML Slack's a really good time. And then like we just mentioned, um John, I think you spoke on the last one too, John. Uh when you when we talked about what we were talking about in the last one. I don't even remember. Oh yeah, marketing research. You uh research. were there with us. Yeah. So that happens the first and third Thursday of every single month at 10 o'clock central time. Um, we're gonna be talking product videos coming up and we have a, a big AMA coming up in December with the Gorilla team. So anybody come and ask your marketing questions. That's all we're gonna do. We're not gonna prepare anything on the outline, uh, no topic. It's just come in and let's just talk and ask questions. So um, so join us there. So go to industrialmarketinglive.com uh, to register for uh, our Zoom IML event. And then Industrial Marketing Summit is at industrialmarketingsummit.com. 
tickets are available. Early bird tickets are gone now. Uh, so we have sold that batch of tickets. So now we, whatever's left out there, good luck. I think, Aaron, do you know how many are left? Like probably like 150 or something, right? Maybe a hundred. Yeah, there's there's a good amount left. Yeah. I wouldn't, wouldn't panic quite yet. <laughs> but get them in early. <laughs> All right. Uh, John, thanks for joining us. Aaron, it's good to have you talking with you on here again too. And we will catch you next week. Thanks everyone. Bye.